We've talked a lot on this podcast about emerging and resulting trends that will stick with us as a function of COVID-19. Higher education being disrupted, consumer health being further tech-enabled, the rise of crypto, and AI and machine learning impacting functionally every industry. But underneath the core of every industry we've talked about is people and global workforces. It's why this week I was excited to chat with Alex Boaziz, founder and CEO of Deal. Deal is solving the incredibly complex and simultaneously important issue of global payroll. As workforces have gone remote and international over the course of the past year, Deal has developed software to help companies stay compliant with local laws and tax systems while keeping international onboarding smooth and seamless. Deal has raised $200 million over the past year and just publicly announced a billion-dollar valuation. This one was a ton of fun. Welcome, Alex. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I know it's a long time coming, man. Yeah, absolutely. Alex, excited to have you on the show today. We're going we're gonna to dive pretty deeply into deal and the problem you're solving. But before we do that, tell us a little bit more about your background and how it led you to founding the company. Sure. Um, again, thanks for having me and excited to chat. So my background, I was born and raised in Paris. So I'm originally from France. I moved when I was pretty young for university to Israel. Um, actually went to an international school. Um, and that actually plays a part into deal. So uh, worth mentioning. I then studied in the US where I met my co-founder. I was doing my master's at MIT and uh, she studied at MIT as well. Uh, she's got an even more interesting background than me. She was born and raised in China and moved to the US um, for uni and kind of paid her way through school. It's, it's a pretty fun story. You should chat with her at some point. Um, so I met her at MIT. I then went to the UK, started a PhD there. I thought it was a little um, boring, let's say, and not, not intensive enough. So I left my PhD to start my first company in Israel. I built a couple of companies. I was involved in VCs. And generally, every single company I built was always uh, bootstrapped, so I could really never afford developers in Israel, in San Francisco, and all those regions. So I always hired distributed from, from the get-go and had to go through the process of understanding what does it mean to hire someone in another country. And, you know, the truth is, having lived in so many countries, I always had a lot of great friends that I wanted to work with and figuring out what's the best way to employ them, work with them, pay them was something that I had to do very early on. Uh, and that's what led me to deal. And so Deal is a global payrolling provider, right? Payroll, I think, is a concept, Alex, that you know everyone working in a company knows about practically, obviously, because they're on the receiving end, but doesn't know the ins and outs of. So let's, you know, before we kind of jump in too deeply, let's let's set the groundwork. How does traditional payrolling work uh, from your perspective? What's what's the end-to-end process? Yeah, so payroll is, is a little different at the international level. I like to say payroll because it's clearer for everyone. So usually at a local level, you're a US company, you want to pay your W2 employees so you're using a tool to run payroll your accountant runs payroll where you're withholding the taxes and, and then you're paying the people the, the right amount of money at an international level it becomes a bit more complicated so let's say i'm a u.s company i want to employ someone in france or in israel there's traditionally three ways to go about it the first one is opening a company and then running payroll locally the second one is hiring them as independent contractors but there's you know, drawbacks to that so you need to be careful of how you do it if you want to do it right and the last one is employing them through what's called a third-party company or an employer record so a company that's locally set up and has the infrastructure to give a good experience and run payroll for your employees um, so what we do at deal is the two letters so we call it payroll but um, if you look at it from a holistic perspective what we help you do at deal is engage with people as full-time employee in any country or as independent contractor in any country compliantly. But what you're really doing is sending invoices to us, right? Whether it's an invoice to us locally, our company that then runs payroll, or it's an invoice to a contractor in their country that then pay their own taxes. We, we're basically helping you manage the whole compliance aspect of hiring people within those two frameworks in a couple of minutes. 
and streamlining the end-to-end -end process for you. So all you have to do is press a button and all the invoices are generated automatically. Your team has an amazing experience and all of that syncs up into your accounting system. And when you think of the scale of this level of activity, you know, facilitating payroll, right? Give us a ballpark for how much is transacted in a given year, you know, maybe in the U.S. as well as globally. Uh, uh, I'm not a big believer of this types of numbers in general. You know, every single uh, person almost in the U.S. gets paid a salary at some point, right? So uh, my, my way of looking at this is uh, we want to enable every single company in the world to hire anyone anywhere, right? And if you look at this scope of, uh, of total addressable market, it's a, it's a pretty big one, right? And the recent transition for a lot of companies from employee US only and within a specific like 30 mile radius into you know global workforce and global employment makes the you know makes the market pretty big and something that we're quite excited to tackle. What are what are the obvious and then probably more interestingly non-obvious challenges with the way we currently do payrolling, right? So a huge market integral to the way we work, right? I think we we alluded to, you know, folks kind of know at a high level, you know, how this works obviously because they're on the receiving end. But you know, when you you're in the guts of the business, right, and you're kind of at the at the almost plumbing or infrastructure level, what are some of the challenges that um, you know we face with the way we currently do payrolling? Yeah, so I'm going to stick to international, right, because that's what we know best. Uh, but you know, one thing you need to know is, regardless of the size of the company, and to, you know, deal today we serve about a thousand four hundred plus companies uh, from SMBs all the way to public companies, right? So pretty large ones as well. What we see is a lot of them. Um, don't truly understand the mechanics of how to pay and hire people outside of their country. Uh, so this, I mean, you know, without getting, or if you want to, we can get into the nitty gritty of that. There is the payments themselves. Sure, that's something that's being solved, but there's also the compliance aspect. Like you're working with an independent contractor in France. Well, welcome to my country where employment is really complicated and there's tons of different ways to set up as an independent contractor. And how do you invoice that person? How does that affect the actual contract from, a Californian contract into a French contract or the Californian contract into a Quebecois contract if the person is in Montreal. Uh, and then from an employment perspective is, you know, it's so different, right? In the US, you are used to employ, employ at will, right? You can kind of fire anyone at any time. Well, you know, welcome to France. We're firing someone is very complicated, right? So um, what it's not about sending money anymore. Sure, it's, a, it's something that we're solving and it's great, but it's about understanding what it truly means and what is the correct way to work with someone outside of your country. And you know, a lot of the companies we talk to, all they do is they send some money for TransferWise and PayPal and like close their eyes, offer the vest and forget that uh, <laughs> there's a lot of steps in order to do this right and do this process the correct way. And so let's let's talk about let's talk about kind of this unpacking this international workforce, right? Over the last year, you know, you guys have seen tremendous growth. You've raised, I think, just south of about 50 million or so. There's something going on, obviously, in the macroeconomic landscape. You know, propel this growth. It's it's obvious we're going through a global pandemic, um, but I think there's some non-obvious things as well in terms of you know how we're how the how the workforce is actually shifting. Give us your perspective, Alex, on what's going on in the macroeconomic landscape, you know, and how that set the parameters for why a company like Deal right now, you know, is needed or, or makes most sense. Yeah, you know what I would say is first there was always a huge business for us to tackle. Right, companies have been hiring outside of their country forever. Right, this this is not this is not something super new. It's just the mindset of people has changed towards that. I think that's actually there's two critical things that might seem um, you know not super relevant for some people, but there's two things that I think completely changed our whole category. The first one is um, you know, self learning. Right, regardless of where you are, access to internet, access to self learning tools, coding, uh, amazing tools like Figma, regardless of your location, enables you regardless of where you are, 
to create amazing work. And using YouTube, for example, to watch video and learn enables you to get like to really self-learn and start building things really fast. And that means that generally education has been distributed, right? People have the ability to learn regardless of their location and therefore talent get created uh, regardless of location, which is a huge game changer. Uh, number two, in general, what has the main thing that has changed for companies is how they view their global workforce, how they treat the global workforce. Companies that are fully distributed and more and more companies start thinking more and more about their global teammates and they want to give them the best experience. What used to be a, mm, I don't really care, you figure it out, here's a swift transfer, bad transaction, poor experience came into, I got to give the same level of care to my, my international employees as I give to the ones I have locally, right? And I think those two phenomena has made Dill a very valuable solution, right? From one, having to figure out the compliance, not having you know, a couple of people here and there and starting to have more and more distributed workforce means that you need to know how to do it and you need to understand how to do it right. That's number one. Number two, having more and more talented people being able to work for you at a fraction of the price of uh, some of the locations like in San Francisco, that, you know, that, that's pretty crucial. And third is just the care. You want to give those people an amazing experience. And... Um, you're looking for the right tools to enable you to give them the right benefits, to give, you know, to give them more control and to simplify their life as much as possible. So, yeah, I mean, the market has changed tremendously over the last few months from, from that perspective, that's for sure. What are the elements of that market shift that you think are more of a moment in time versus permanent? Um, well, I mean, you know, I actually think most of the things we're seeing are permanent, um, candidly. I think, sure, people are going to go back to offices to some extent. Some people won't want to. But the idea that you can hire outside of your country, it's more accepted. And you've got, you know, the C-levels at your companies that say, try, go for it, employ people, and they're seeing great results. That's going to stay permanent. Um, what's maybe not going to stay as permanent is, uh, you know, maybe relocation. So we've seen a lot of companies that have their employees relocating to their home countries and a lot of companies that used to relocate people into, for example, you know, there's an amazing company we work with in Amsterdam. They used to bring people to Amsterdam and they had to change their strategy. I'm not too sure if that's going to stay or not, because I think there is some people that do want to, you know, immigrate and they want to bring them into countries. So I think that part is going to be a little less permanent, but generally global workforce to me, is, is, is quite obvious. So let's, let's walk through the product, right? How, do, how does Deal actually work? Give us the high-level summary and then you know, talk about how it addresses some of the earlier pain points that you were alluding to. Sure. Um, which one specifically? <laughs> let's, go through, let's go through the kind of end-to-end process, right? So if I'm on the employer mm-hmm. side and, and I'm leveraging Deal, walk me through mm-hmm. kind of how I, how I use the product and, and kind of what all the, you know, all the different things that it helps me facilitate. For sure. So let's say you're a great company that wants to start hiring around the world. Let's not take the full distributed use case, although it's a pretty big use case for us as well. Uh, I want to hire that specific person in Brazil. There's two different motion of hiring that you can do. The first one is I want to hire that person as an independent contractor for whatever reason. So I want to, one, have the ability to have a localized contract. I want to make sure that they have the right compliance documents. I want to be able to run a background check. I want to do everything I can so that I can engage with that person in you know, that set time frame of time if you're hiring them as a contractor in a compliant fashion. And on deal, you basically come, put their name, the scope of work, the amount to, that you want to pay, and all the different processes that will make you walk through. It takes probably three minutes end to end. We'll give you a localized contract that's being reviewed by lawyers uh, on a quarterly basis. We'll make sure that everything is in place, and then you can engage that person and give them a really great experience. On the employee side, let's take the same example. You want to hire that person in Brazil, but we have Deal Brazil located locally. You want us to hire them on your behalf and employ them on your behalf. We'll just... 
give them an offer letter with the salary that's desired. We'll tell you, hey, so salary is X, the employer class for that person is Y, and our management fee would be uh, Z. And then we'll, we'll just literally invoice you every month for that person and we'll give them the best benefits and the best care they need in their local country. So if you take a holistic view of deal, what you end up having is one home for all your non-local workers. Anyone that's working for you, whether it's as a contractor or as an employee, all you got to do at the end of the month is press a button and we'll give them a great experience and enable them to have a lot more, uh, have a lot more control in how they get paid and uh, have the right points of contact for them in the cases where they have uh, HR or compliance questions that you might not be able to answer. And what are the portions of the stack that you're most interested in and think have the opportunity for the greatest impact for employers? So when, when I think of the product, I, I kind of think of, you know, there's obviously elements that are core to kind of running the shop or running the experience, right? Making sure you can actually transact, pay people, et cetera. Uh, but there's different, and there's a lot of different components kind of in that full end-to-end experience. And it seems like some of those are interesting launch pads for, for different types of products or, or different types of impact that can't be created, you know, without technology. So what are the portions of the stack you get most excited, excited by? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, removing the technological aspect of things, the, the thing that generally excites me the most is global compliance, right? Having lived in different countries, understanding the dynamics of each of the country and how they apply towards yours, how they're different in the way you work and the, the culture of work in general from a country to another. That's something that excites me. And that's something that's actually the harder part. So, you know, being able to really guide our customers and help them understand what they should be aware of, what are some of the things that um, that need to be done in one country versus another is something that generally I'm, I'm quite fond of. And from a technological standpoint, um, so, so Deal is kind of built as a fintech company, right? That's, that's actually kind of what we are. We're a fintech company with very large HR and compliance uh, layer on top of. And being positioned that way enabled us to do a lot of things that no one on the market can. So for example, on the contractor model, uh, we've built an end-to-end platform where the contractors on their side have access to a lot of things that they can't usually have access to in, in most solutions. So from being able to choose how they get paid, regardless of how their client paid, from being, being able to give them uh, products like a cash advance product, like a card product, and like a perks product. Uh, there, there's tons of things that we can do and we can provide to people working as independent contractors because we're in the middle of this flow and because we, you know, we have the volume to be able to do that. And that's super unique to deal. And that's something that I'm super excited about. And, and then on the employee side, you know, what I would say is, um, it's, it, again, it's less about the stack uh, from a tech standpoint. It's more about the experience. Uh, most of the companies that a lot of our customers are working with right now that we're disrupting are old services companies where, from onboarding, you know, it takes three to four, maybe sometimes four to six weeks to onboard someone as an employee and the experience for the employee is terrible. Streamlining that end-to-end with like clean tech and a simple solution and the ability to, you know, today employ someone in five minutes in Canada from deal, I think is, is, is very unique and it's, uh, it's you know, mainly tech-driven. So th- those are the things that really excite me. So compliance, speed, and generally the ability to give products that uh, you can't usually give. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Alex. Because I think if you if you unpack those further, those three things further, you know, when I looked at the product, there there are a couple of things that I actually get really excited about, and I want to get your take on them. There's instant pay, uh, there's insurance, and then there's contract customization. And I, I want to start with the customization point um, and unbundling of local contracting. You know, when you're using a service provider, it's um, it's obviously more difficult to do at scale because contracting stays static. Um, how do you think about local introducing localized contracting and scale, you know, in a way that service providers have difficulty in matching? 
Yeah, I'm not going to give you all our secret sauce, but long story short, we work with uh, a lot of amazing lawyers around the world that have built the right frameworks and the right processes to keep on top of uh, local labor laws based on the different infrastructure that are available for um, contractors and for employees. Um, so, you know, generally what we've built is a machine, right, that gets updated the right way with the best legal talent and accounting talents around the world on a quarterly basis that's uh, being built by our operations team in a way that's... Uh, very unique, right? So it's taking, you know, most of the company come from very high growth startups and they've seen growth at scale and they've seen changes and building those logistics and processes is something that you know, we're pretty proud of and that we, we spent a lot of time on. And yeah, that, that contract customization, it, it's fun because it does not only apply to simply two countries, it also applies to the two structures that both parties are using. So if you're and then like in France, an auto-entrepreneur, which is one way to set up versus a, a SASU, which is another way to set up the contracts and the data we'll collect will be completely different. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's pretty, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've always been really impressed with what the team is building, but that's, that's always something I'm fascinated by. Yeah, it, it, it is fascinating. And I started with the contract piece because I think there's pretty interesting implications that form when you codify contracts, right? So basically every element of an underlying agreement ultimately can be automated, whether it's things like payment cycles, payment types, et cetera. Um, you know, you yeah, all of that is automated on deal as well, right? It's, it's such a core part of the product, right? Tying contracts to payments. And yeah. I, I guess it is a little unique, by the way. It is something that you don't see anywhere. Uh, but this is so core to the product by now. And that was one of our early innovations that I don't even think about it anymore. But you're right, like payment cycles, every single variable of the payment and the contract is dynamic inside of the contract we create as well. Yeah, exactly. And so use that as a use that as a basis or so to go a little bit deeper in in the tie between contracting and payment. So, you know, your instant pay product, I think, is a really good example of this, right? Where, you know, effectively what you can do is you can use the contract as a base agreement and you can hook, you know, any provision into an automated function that basically disintermediates people, right? Which which is yes. traditionally, you know, how we service this, right? So how yep. do you how do you think about kind of that contract almost as that main operating system? And then talk about, you know, some of these different things you guys are doing. Because I, I think that innovation is actually really, really interesting and has pretty profound implications, actually. It's pretty cool because uh, I'll tell you the truth. No, no one actually brings it back to those pieces that often. Um, so I appreciate it. Look, I think you're right, right? Every single variable within the contract gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of what we want to build. One thing that we're really proud of and um, we, we've built something I think pretty cool is we've built that cash advance feature. So this cash advance feature is available all around the world and it basically is core to the contract itself. So what we do is if you have a contract on deal and you meet the different criteria as we have, you can take an advance on your salary. Uh, if it's less than $50, then we'll give it to you for free. So if we need to spot you for an overdraft or anything that you need to pay right now, and it's less than 50 bucks, we'll give it to you for free. Um, and that feature was completely built based on the variables of the contract itself. So looking at the length of the contract, looking at the termination period, looking at the type of work that's being performed, looking at the type of contract itself and the patterns within the contract, then we're able to basically build a decision-making tree that understands whether or not our risk profile and our risk assessment is willing for it to, to cash advance that person. And having visibility on the relationship de-risks a lot of things, but enables us to feel very confident uh, when, when building features like that, right? Understanding who is party A, who is party B, what is, you know, what is the direction of the contract itself? Because those clauses have to be followed, right? Most of the time, if you have a termination notice of 30 days, um, you have to kind of follow it, right? It's a proper legal agreement. Then it really empowers us to build a lot of things around that to make the experience of both people a lot better. And, and how do you think about, so one, one thing that's, I think, important to know also, right, is 
you guys have, you have two stakeholders, right? You have the employers and then you have the actual workforce itself. Um, so how do you think about, you know, the experience and what you offer for both full-time employees as well as independent contractors? You know, how do you think about the workforce side of the platform and integrating that, you know, with all the stuff you guys are doing on the employer side? Yeah, so, you know, balancing out both sides is always, always hard, right? You've got two sides of the marketplace. and But, you know, what's cool and that resonates with a little of the things that I said earlier is that we're all aligned, us and the clients, our customers, that we're here to give the best experience to their global team, right? So um, a lot of the times what will win us, like will win a deal over for us is the experience and the care and the customer support we give to their team. So, um, you know, I'd always say there, there's a lot of uh, prioritization that goes into what do we ship from a future standpoint for party A for the clients versus the end, end users and the workforce. And there's always, always a lot of balances. Um, luckily for us, to some extent, our team. So we've got a couple of people that work at Revolut, for example, and a few other consumer solutions. And they're always tempted to build more and more things to make the experience of the workforce like much better. And actually, I had the company, I have to kind of like drag them back into, hey, but you know, we want to ship this and equipment features, like uh, equipment features providing and all of those things. Like I'm always working on those features for the client side as well. So yeah, I mean, balancing out both of them is always hard, but uh, we, we aim to delight both sides of the marketplace. And um, I would say that, you know, this, the struggle that, of luck we have here is our customers, both sides, uh, they really want the workforce to have a great experience. And that's why they're coming to see us, right? So a lot of them actually will prioritize the experience we give to their employees and their independent contractors over sometimes their own, right? Which is which is quite important. Unpack that a little bit more. What are, what are some of the aspects that make a good experience and how has that been changed um changed kind of during this during this distributed workforce shift that we're we're experiencing right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first and obvious one is, is payments, right, for independent contractors, giving people. So what we do on deal, which is pretty cool, is as a customer, you have a one-click payment solution, regardless of the country where you're from in, in many of those countries. And then we distribute the funds to the independents wherever they are. So we give them access to lots of different payment methods, lots of options on how they take their funds. And that's super unique to us, right? So they can say, hey, I want to take 3000 bucks through my Revolut account or my TransferWise account or in crypto via Coinbase or whatever it is. They are completely completely detached to how their client paid and they're, we're here to let them pick how they want to get paid, right? Which is like pretty big. Uh, and then we give them access to other things that their, their clients just can't, right? Because if you're dealing with someone as an independent contractor, if you start giving them health insurance, then you're putting your, your, yourself in jeopardy from a misclassification perspective. But because we have a high volume of independent contractors on deal, then we can go see amazing insurance providers and say, hey, like, we've got a lot of people here, give them a 20, 30% discount and they'll buy individually their own health insurance if they want to. Uh, so there's lots of products on that front. And on the employee side, uh, employee side is nice. And then most of the companies that are transitioning to deal, they're working with companies that take four to six weeks to onboard someone as an employee in some countries. And I mean, that's not the experience that you want to give to, to the end user, right? They want to start and they want to start with you as fast as possible, right? So our SLAs on, on most uh, employee onboarding is from five minutes in some of the countries where we own our own infrastructure all the way to one business day, right? And giving them not only a smooth onboarding experience, trying to help them in aligning benefits with what they're doing within the US, for example, when it's outside of that, so they can stay and remain competitive, all the way to provide the right like support and framework for them to claim their expenses or you know report sick days based on the local regulation is, is, yeah, it's kind of unheard of, right? Like most of the people we talk to, they deal with weeks of processes and weeks of email threads to get one expense reinforced. 
One of the ways I like to think about your business, and I, I want to kind of take you like, uh, I want to elevate you a little bit higher, right? We're, we're kind of talking in, in the weeds of, of kind of how the how the business actually works or how the, how the product actually works. Um, one of the ways I like to think about your, Alex, uh, your business, Alex, and tell me if you agree with this, is you guys are pretty integral to unlocking global commerce, right? So what I mean by that is, it's, you know, it's sexier and it's, you know, more kind of buzzworthy to talk today about these kind of quote unquote future of work tools. There's a lot of hype and buzz, you know, for that in tech right now, you guys are more like the plumbing or the guts of the system. Right. And so the stuff on top, you know, can't really work or doesn't really work. You know, if the plumbing or the infrastructure doesn't work itself, I'm curious how you think about that positioning in the ecosystem. And if you, if you focus at all on, you know, some of the interesting byproducts that can start to come out of this idea of unlocking, you know, global commerce and unlocking workforces in other locations. How do you, how do you, I know that's a large and kind of broad <laughs> macro statement, right. Um, and, and probably makes it a bit more challenging to address, but how do you think about that framing? Right. And, and where, you know, where deal fits into that. Let's address it step by step. First, I totally agree with you, right? The reason why we're opening companies in different countries, we're building the right relationship. The reason why we've approached a company from a fintech angle is because we're building out the infrastructure to support hundreds of millions of dollars and billions of dollars in transaction, right? On a daily basis. And that's one of the big challenges that we're going to face at scale. And that's what, you know, that's why Stripe build infrastructure, right? To support that scale. And we're, we have the same mindset. That's how we approach every single problem we tackle at the company. How is that going to look at 1000X, right? At 100X. And yeah, I mean, you know, what we're seeing is a lot of companies are building really strong complementary solutions to deal, right? So for example, um, recently we came up with uh, an equipment feature. So we, we want to empower that workforce. We want you to be able to provide them with the equipment as well. But a lot of the companies we talk to, we're doing that uncompliantly. So sure, we're not building global uh, providing of the actual equipment, we build the framework to do this right. But then tons of other companies around us in the space are looking to plug into the solutions and bring those compliance solutions as well, right? So the, the way I look at it is like you said, we, we're approaching the problem from how can we empower person A to work with person B, right? That's step number one, compliantly and pay them. But then there's lots of other things that are gonna come through time to just make the relationship better and empower the relationship better. Um, you know, at the end of the day, are we going to have our own API as well to empower other companies to leverage what we're building? Sure, that's definitely something we want to do. So we're very aligned on building the underlying infrastructure to enable companies to not only scale, but build on top of what we're doing so they can leverage that infrastructure that's being built. Yeah, talk talk about some of the interesting byproducts that come of that infrastructure, right? So if other companies are able to build, you know, kind of on top of what you guys can provide and such, what are what are some of the applications of that 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 you find interesting or where you know you believe the company will steer to? Yeah, I mean, one very very common application of deal, and we've got amazing companies running on that, um, is a marketplace, right? So you want to run a two-sided marketplace or a one-sided marketplace. You want to be able to empower and pay and work compliantly with all those people. Let's say if you are a company like VBI, I don't know if you heard of them, they just got acquired by Corsair. Um, they are uh, in the gaming industry and they ship one of the most beautiful design I've ever seen for streamers and, and uh, YouTubers. So they're actually running a full-on marketplace on deal, right? Every single designer is getting paid through the platform and uh, you know, that is exactly some of the byproduct that we want power, right? We want to empower more companies to be able to leverage that global workforce at that scale. Uh, so that's, that's one of them. Um, a second application of deal that we've seen so far is um, 
leveraging our customers. I mean, that one is kind of like hard to describe and I'm not too sure how relevant it, how relevant it is, but I think it's fun. Uh, we've seen quite a few companies try to leverage the audience we have within country to be able to build specific products for it. So there's a company we're working with right now that has seen a huge gap in how independent contractors in that specific case get private insurance in Canada. And leveraging the infrastructure we have and the number of people we have, they managed to rally enough people. They're completely like dispersed, right? And sporadic. They're not really a community a lot of the times uh, into, into basically signing off on a product that they can take to the next phase with an insurance provider in the country. So I'm not too sure if that's exactly a good example, but that's one that I like because it is bringing, you know, distributed people that are not under one umbrella and that can unionize and all those things to enable them to get products that they can't really have. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think one of the one of the interesting that where I get where I get really excited about the product and, and kind of the potential of the business is, you know, what are those elements that if you keep thinking of unlocking and reducing friction, right, a, a relatively mm-hmm. simplistic kind of overarching statement, but if you keep thinking of reducing friction um, and facilitating workforce, you know, what is that, what are the implications end up being, you know, for companies specifically at a micro level, but then, you know, more so also, uh, for for actual employees, right? Whether they're independent contractors or uh, or, or full time employees. Correct. Yeah, you know, it's uh, what's fun about this is you're you're taking a workforce that is becoming more and more valuable, but not only not only in our eyes, but also in the eyes of our customers, and giving like giving leveraging that into being able to provide them with really great products and things that they haven't had before is something that I'm excited about. Being able to say, you can get a cash advance, whether you are in Latin, in Africa, in APAC, in Russia, in a click of a button is something that I feel really excited about, given that this is a product that, you know, the, the gustos of the world have just come out within the US like Square only like six months ago, being able to say, we can do that, we can do it at scale and we can do it regardless of your country is something that I'm very proud about. Alex, as we as we round out the conversation, you know, last question, I always ask founders that, that come on uh, this question uh, as applied to their space, which is what's the one big thing you believe, you know, about the future of remote work um, that others wouldn't likely agree with you on? Uh, um, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to say there's definitely a couple of people that agree with me that it's here to stay. Um, I think one thing that people don't agree with me on is <laughs> global compensation. <laughs> uh, that's a topic that I find really interesting. I actually have a, a pretty good article, I think, that's coming coming in, in a few days where I disagree with uh, paying San Francisco salaries to, to people around the world. I think San Francisco salaries are nonsense already. So distributing equal salaries, regardless of where you are, is something that I think is, is you know, is, is worthy. I think it's cool, but I think it's unrealistic. And uh, to some extent, I, I wish, like, that more people were willing to say, hey, I am hiring in those countries because today the workplace, the workforce in, in the Bay Area and other countries just makes no sense. And it's hard for my company if I'm bootstrapped, if I haven't raised a lot of money to be able to afford that or compete with Google. I'm just looking for the best talent. And I understand that I'm gonna pay them something that might be lower to what they would get in San Francisco, but that is the arbitrage application. I'm gonna pay them really well for where they are, but I, like, I really don't think I don't, I don't appreciate the narrative of you should pay people the same regardless of where they are because it's, it's not true, right? A lot of the time you want to leverage the workforce wherever they are for your company with the funds that you actually have. And uh, I, I don't like the idea of, uh, of people coming and completely destroying marketplaces within a country and 
enabling local companies to be able to hire local talents just because they started you know taking uh, VC money into you know countries that uh, that usually don't don't have access to right. I don't know if that makes sense, but to me, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. Well, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm curious, I'm curious to actually follow up on that because this is a, this is a topic. This is something I've been thinking about a lot and chatting with a lot of people on also is, um, you know, basically how do you balance the implications and look, it's, it's obviously borderline impossible to kind of play this out at a macro scale, mm-hmm. but I think the two sides of the argument become, you know, one, one side of the argument or the debate is basically the way you're framing out the situation. The other side of the debate becomes, you know, is there kind of an upward revision to hiring the best talent? So what I mean by that is, um, you know, an interesting analogy of sorts to the same discussion is uh, the idea of the future of travel, right? So a lot of folks say, great, you know, we've kind of gone through this period where, you know, you don't necessarily have to travel for sales meetings, partnerships meetings, et cetera, and everything can be done, you know, online, right? Um, once the pandemic is over, you'll start to have certain companies that will have certain sales forces that will start to travel. And there's obviously a lot of things that go on in person, et cetera, that build relationships, you know, in certain ways, right. Um, that can, you know, kind of propel deals or propel business opportunities from happening. The minute that companies, some companies start doing that, other companies will by necessity follow, maybe not even by preference. And so you kind of have a whipsaw, you know, back to the way, you know, travel potentially works. That's not to say all travel will go back, but you'll kind of have this, you know, equilibrium of sorts that you you get to. I'm curious sure. the counter. Yeah. yeah, sorry, go for it. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say you're gonna you're also gonna have some industries where you need to be in person to close a very, very large deal, right? The exactly. person wants to, right? Like I've been I've been talking to a couple of great companies and um to work with them a bit more closely. And you know, the chances of uh, some companies in APAC or in, in Africa to, to be willing to, to work even closely with me. They, they want to see me in person. They want to share with me with that. And some industries are going to be that way, right? There's nothing you can do about it. That, that's exactly right, right? And so if you take that analogy and you kind of, you, you put it onto this, this discussion we're having, right? The, the opposite side, I think, of the argument, uh, the side of the argument that you're on is basically, you know, look, if we want to go hire the absolute best, you know, engineers in Nigeria, in India, in Indonesia, whatever it is, there, you know, as soon as one company moves in the direction of, of paying normalized salary, it's almost like a prisoner's dilemma, you know, where everybody has to kind of follow because if you if you defect and they don't, right, um, you you can lose, right? So well, I'm but, curious how you think about that. But then you also trap the your your workers as well on the other side, right? If they're unhappy, sure they're getting paid well, uh, but they've got you know golden handcuffs, right? Because the market is has not followed the trend that you've put that is overpaying on salary or normalizing some prices here and there. Look, the way we look at it at Dill is a bit different. We have um, salary bands um, that we put in place and we respect the salary bands regardless of the location, uh, which means that sometimes and a lot of the times we can't hire in the Bay Area because uh, you know as a company we're just not willing to go as high as that for salary. Uh, so, you know, we set the salary bands. A lot of the time, the, the first step we do is we go talk to the people we want to hire and we ask them, what would make you happy? What do you, what are you comfortable with? What would make you in a really good place in your location for your time based on the market data and what you have? And, and I think that's actually the first most respectful place that you can, you can take, right? Is as a person, what do they want? Sure, some of them will undersell themselves. Some of them will overprice themselves. But at least you get a picture of what do, what do they measure their value in their market. And then you can kind of take it from there. Uh, and, you know, my view on that is you'll, you'll have a lot of companies doing a lot of different things. 
sure you're gonna have again you know we're a VC back company we raise a lot of money we could we could overpay people regardless of their location it's just not in our culture right we, we just really don't say it that way we want to pay people fairly based on market data based on things that make sense and we don't want to drive the market one way or another right i think this is exactly how you read market for local companies as well right so we take it in a very very unique step i mean unique i don't think so but a very standardized step here is our salary band does that match with what you're thinking about earning let's take that into you know, negotiation what makes sense for you and just roll with that if you think you should be getting paid four times more then we're probably not the right company for you is that unique or are you were saying, sorry, you were saying it's not unique. Is it, is it not unique? Are you seeing companies in the Bay Area that have raised a bunch of money kind of hiring internationally? Are they actually elevating prices in those locations? Yeah, I've seen, I've seen some, some, some funny stuff there. That's for sure. Um, I, I can't, you know, I'm going to say it's not unique because at the end of the day, there's just normalization from the fact that the ones that haven't raised a lot of money, they're going to pay market standard, right? They're just going to pay people what they can. And, and that's why it's not unique, right? That's, that's an approach that a lot of people take. It might be unique for a VC back company to not be throwing money at people. I'm not, you know, I hope not. Uh, but when it, uh, when it comes to, yeah, I've definitely seen a couple of companies. And again, maybe they're the best talent and they're probably worth every single dollar, but definitely things that could change the, the, the marketplace there. The problem is, you know, they, how many people are they going to hire in that country, right? A dozen, a hundred? Uh, they're not going to hire every single better talent in that country because most of those companies are going to keep lean to some extent, right? They're not just going to hire every single developer. So um, I think you'll see a little bit of everything. I, I am not in favor of that, but that's at a very personal level. Yeah. Well, awesome, Alex. Well, thanks. Well, you get paid well, right? If you come at deal, you'll get paid well at market and you'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for jumping down that rabbit hole a little bit. That was that was definitely interesting to hear your perspective. This of was course. this was great. This was great, Alex. I, I really enjoyed having you on, and um, it's it's fun to watch from afar. You know the way you guys are thinking about really the the foundational level of the of the payments infrastructure. So you know, looking forward to continuing to following along, and, and thanks for taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much for taking your time as well. Sorry I couldn't come on earlier, but it was really a pleasure to chat with you. And you know, if you if you have anyone uh, around you that needs some help on the uh, compensating and benchmarking salaries on that front, I'm super happy to help. <laughs>